want to say, uh, Alicia Jacobs, those of you know that know Alicia, and, um, she was supposed to have a back surgery and I visited with her. Uh, her. The good news is her mother is here helping with the three kids. Uh, Logan is taking paramedic. He, he's, an, he's a fireman now, but he's also in paramedic school, so he's, like, he's having to work daily, whether it's the work or the paramedic school. She's got some severe back issues. She's supposed to have back surgery this week. It's the point where she can't even pick her kids up. Uh, a lot of pain. Uh, but so they postponed it. She's going to do the surgery this week. And the one thing that she needs from us, and we will let you know, um, the one thing she needs from us is uh, some, when it, the time is right, they're going to need some meals. And, of course, we'll let everybody know and get that so we can help them and provide, uh, provide meals. She's very fortunate to have her mom with her. But her spirits are down. She's in a lot of pain, and it's tough. Keep her in your prayers. Uh, Danny Aliwine, continue. Uh, in his prayers. I didn't visit with him this week. I know he was going back uh, for an MRI after finishing the latest rounds of chemo. And so uh, obviously want to uh, keep Danny and Karen in our prayers as well. So there's always many to, uh, to be uh, in prayer for. Another one I didn't recognize, because I've been waiting to recognize. Jeff and Valerie, you have to stand up. Just stand up since we're doing this. My sermon's going to actually be shorter this morning. Some of you are saying, Yahoo! Some of you are saying, I'll believe it when I see it. So, uh, amen. But here's the timer. Uh, so, what was the wedding date? I was there, but I've forgotten the date. Huh? June 20th. And it was a beautiful wedding. Uh, COVID kind of affected that. And it was out in the ranch uh, as you're heading towards... Uh, uh, Navasota, uh, and it was absolutely beautiful. By it was, and and uh, so they're newlyweds, and it's good to have them here. So, what a blessing! Okay, open your Bibles to Jan Daniel chapter twelve. Now, I, I will tell you, I put a handout in the bulletin, and it's the beginning uh, of pre preparing and doing a thesis on the Book of Revelation. Over the next couple of months, we really we started this uh, series on Christ as and Christ as Almighty, Revelation one and eight, where uh, the Scripture says Jesus speaking, Christ as Almighty, and then all the implications of that. Um, over the next several, really two months, I'm going to connect uh, there to fully understand Revelation. There's a connection between Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, some. Uh, but I want the church to have, really want to give you as much information as I can as we go through this process, uh, which will really, I believe, be very helpful for you. I'm going to send this out in emails as well. This is not the sermon this morning, but you'll see the significance of this handout as we move forward. Um, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by it. But uh, Daniel chapter 12 was part of uh, verses that I had three weeks ago in a message dealing with uh, fear and anger. And really a dynamic of that uh, was not to be anxious, not to be fearful. And then the passages, and really using that passage in Matthew where, you know, Jesus says in the sermon about be anxious for nothing. Don't, you know, don't be anxious. Um, and then one of those passages that we didn't get to deal with was the prophetic passage out of Daniel 12. And so I'm going to read that. I'm going to begin in uh, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12. Now at that time, 
At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. I love that. The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Speaking to Daniel, this young Jewish prophet, slave, um, during the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar was his king, a Babylonian king. And so this is Daniel and part of this prophetic word. He said, so the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Now, if you just took a highlighter pen and you just highlighted the word time. Now, at that time, uh, there will be a time of distress that is never, uh, such as never occurred since that there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up this book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. I'm going to stop there. If you continue to read, there's a lot of stuff in this passage as it closes out this, uh, this book. Um, some of its vision, imagery. Uh, he, uh, verse 8, it says, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So Daniel said, I heard, but I couldn't understand, my Lord, uh, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. Those who have insight, you go back to verse 3, and those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. So you see this word insight. And I, there's great comfort as you continue to read. Uh, it says, many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there'll be 1,250 days, 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, here's this comfort, but as for you, Daniel, you go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again at your allotted portion uh, for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Now, if you just read that whole thing, I, I want to start with this. I don't know how often you read the Bible. I don't know how often you're in the scripture. But one of the things, and if you go back to some of these old great theologians and preachers, um, Spurgeon, uh, Piper, um, so many of them, if you've read any of their stuff and uh, the things that they've studied and it, all the wonderful things that some of these great old theologians and preachers have uh, Tozer, who they all, there's a theme, a constant theme that you'll find in the history of uh, these godly individuals. And that is, and I concur with it, 
when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, I just know this is true. Um, those words, just those words, there's something uh, majestic. The word that I use is majestic. Um, I don't know how many times in your life when you've been in a particularly difficult time, a struggle in your life, where you turn to God's word. Maybe you don't always understand it. Some of it can be pretty lofty. That's another. But there's something. It's different, isn't it? I don't believe any man that has ever lived, any man that has ever lived, any piece of literature that's ever been written uh, can adequately, even comparably, uh, measure up to the words of Scripture. It's majestic. Sometimes it's cryptic. It's hard to understand. It's challenging. It's encouraging. But there is a poetic beauty now, we know it's from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture has been inspired by God. So we know that. If you're a believer, you understand. But there is, in, in because of that, when we read Scripture, there's a power to it. There's just power that, you maybe even you don't even understand it, but there's a power that just emanates from reading these words. Now, at that time, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your, your people will arise, and there'll be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's written in the book, will be rescued. Now, that's just one, but you could open the Bible anywhere. You could open it to anywhere in the creation account in Genesis. Uh, you could go anywhere in Scripture, major, minor prophets, the Psalms, the Gospels, and New Testament epistles, and there's, there is just a majesty and a power that just emanates from Scripture uh, uncomparably to any piece of literature that man could ever write. So I just start there. So to understanding these first four, this is a, Daniel's a, he's a, he's a, He's a young man. You can read his story in the first chapter of Daniel. Um, God's mighty people. If you're familiar with the Bible, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, you can read about it uh, in the book of Exodus. And if you're familiar with the story of Moses and how God led his people out of slavery, they spent 40 years in the desert. And then you start with the book of Joshua, and God takes his people into the promised land. It's a great time in the history of God's people. Eventually, they'll have judges, then they'll have kings. And then if you're familiar with those great kings, David and Solomon, that's some pretty, and even secular history will concur in many places in the scripture about the kings of Israel. But when you get to Daniel, um, God's people, that once proud people, have been enslaved. The 12 tribes that uh, were from the 12 sons of Jacob, um, they're slaves. They're dispersed. Any power that they might have had is relinquished. And as Daniel starts, it's the story of a young teenage boy, three others, um, and they've been taken into Babylonian captivity, and God gives him favor. You ought to read that first chapter, why and how God gives him favor. But let me just say, if we're going to understand these first four verses, the first thing that we need to understand, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Let's just go there, 1 Corinthians, uh, because 
uh, it's significant in our understanding the significance of these verses. So the Apostle Paul uh, writes in verse 26 of chapter 1. I've quoted this many times. It's a strong reminder. It needs to serve as a strong reminder. For consider your calling. This is 600 years after Daniel has lived, served in a Babylonian empire, uh, had these, the ability, the God-given ability to understand visions, uh, to prophetically speak and interpret them. Uh, but 600 years have gone by. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christians in Corinth, for consider your calling, uh, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble. But God, listen, God has chosen who? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By God's doing, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Read that again, verse 30. But by God's doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay, now, connect Daniel in these opening verses. If you had been alive 26 years ago and you had access to the Babylonian court, um, at that point historically, Babylonian, the, the Babylonians were the preeminent power in, on the planet. And their king would have been the most powerful king on the planet. The one thing and the one that would have just been, if you'd been alive and you had access to the court, you would have seen four Jewish uh, boys, teenagers, about, you know, maybe a little older than Jace. You would have seen, you know, these four young teenage boys in the king's court. Um, but you, if you were a news reporter, if there was such a thing back then, you wouldn't have really given them any thought. You just wouldn't. Uh, I, I would say to you today, I don't think there's anybody here other than the ones that are written in the book of uh, Daniel that you could, you could uh, quote any of the decrees of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. I don't believe you could. I don't believe anybody here could tell me, well, the king, the Babylonian king, uh, who David served as a slave from a, a, an oppressed people, um, I don't think you could. You, could you can go through history and you can find them. Uh, but I can tell you this, for 2,600 years, for 2,000 years, the New Testament church, I couldn't give you the number of people that can quote the events that Daniel spoke about. They're being preached about today. Oh, I promise you. Throughout the world, throughout the world, because of the condition of the world, Daniel... And his visions that he interpreted, John revealed. Daniel's were sealed. John was revealed. And that because of the world that we live in right now, 
No, no Babylonian king, nobody's quoting a Babylonian king, but throughout the world, people are quoting, thinking about, studying, intellectually involved, spiritually grasping those moments. 2,600 years ago, the most important, you know who the most important person 2,600 years ago on the planet was? It wasn't the Babylonian king. It was Daniel. When I say important, I mean significant. I mean significant. What he had to say, his life, how God used him, was far more impactful than any king that was reigning and any army that was assembled in the world 2,600 years ago. Now, what, what, I, what does that mean to you and I? So we have some graduates here, a lot of kids up here, children's moments, um, young couple getting married. Uh, I think to myself, man, got married in 2020. What a year in the calendar, right? What a year in the calendar. Um, if you aren't just a little bit cautious, because we talked about the difference between caution and fear, and, and probably fearful, I'll just say it. it. If I were to ask you, do you think this election that coming up in November, do you think it matters? Probably all of us here. There's some of you that have a lot of trepidation thinking, man, if this guy's elected, and boy, I don't know. And if this guy's elected, are things going to change? And, and how are they going to change? And, and then you've got a virus. A lot of opinions about that virus. Lots of opinions. And, and there's a lot of scientists that are absolutely and totally 100% in disagreement. Absolutely. Numbers don't add up. Uh, there's uneasiness. And yet we all know probably somebody that's had the virus. People have died from the virus. So we got that. Then we got rioting and protesting. I, I was alive in the 60s and the anti-war and, you know, the things that, and I, I, but I don't remember them. I, you know, I don't. I know that there was a lot of rioting and racial tension and, um, man, it was in our universities and our young people, the angst concerning the Vietnam War. So, you know, I don't know if it's as bad or worse then or worse now, but it's not good, is it? And then you're trying to raise a child. And if I was a teenager, I'd have to think, is this the world we're living in? What's the world going to be like? And so then you can think, maybe, maybe they say the President of the United States is the most powerful guy on the planet. Well, maybe Donald Trump's the answer. He's draining the swamp. He's not really a politician. And then, well, maybe Joe Biden's the answer. Maybe he's the answer. I have to share this. So I, I like to go to Frank's Country Store. Uh, I just do. I, I enjoy it. It kind of feels like home to me. I, I just, you never know what, you're going to hear some good stuff. Um, you'll talk a little bit about college football. And of course, we're always, all of us are right, uh, you know. So we talk about stuff. So there's a guy that comes in there. He came in this week, and, and uh, he and I are on opposite ends of the political spectrum. We're just on opposite ends of the political spectrum. And, uh, but he's, he's really 
uh, engaging, and, and it's not rude and disrespectful, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, and so he, he asked me, you know, what I thought about, well, there was uh, one of uh, Trump's, uh, he'd been, he was indicted for something, this guy said, you know, there's more guys that have been, uh, more people been arrested associated with Trump than any other, and so the conversation started. And so we're talking. And I know you don't come to church to hear all this, but just bear with me for a second. So we're, we're kind of, and I said, look, you know what? I have to tell you something. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I, I'm going to vote this. But I vote one way for one reason and really only one. And that, for me, it's abortion. That's just me. That's your preacher. I, I mean, it's abortion. I'm sure I think we ought to secure our borders. I think we ought to have the right to Second Amendment rights to own guns. I'm all for it. I, I, I like lower taxes and I, I like, uh, you know, a capitalist view of, of, of doing business, all those things. But for me, it's abortion. That's it. So it, the minute the Republican uh, Party were to come pro-choice, I wouldn't vote Republican. That's just me. And so I had made that comment to him. And then his comment to me was this, and it ties to this, because I always tell you I don't believe coincidence. He said, well, if that's the way you feel, let's talk about the morality of your president. And, and, and he began to talk about, you know, what he believes uh, is the immorality of the president. And so I said, do you want me to answer that? He said, yeah. So I said, so in scripture, I said, in the spring of the year, when kings go out to battle, David stayed home. And this man knows from Bible. I said, do you know the rest of the story? Well, of course. Bathsheba, <laughs> adultery, capital murder of Uriah the Hittite, a righteous man, a child born that dies. And yet David was called a man after God's own heart. The story of David and Goliath. And if you tell the story of David and Goliath, you've got to tell the story of... David and Bathsheba. And I said, so for me personally, there's something you need to understand. I said, for me, it's abortion. That's me. I don't expect you to agree with that. But if we're going to talk about morality, I have to say this. And then I went to Romans 3 and 27. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. First John, if we say that we don't sin, we lie. And God's and the truth is not in us. If we say we haven't sinned, God makes us out to be a liar. Now, what does that have to do with Daniel? Look at who God uses. In these magnificent, fulfilled visions, the ability to understand, interpret visions, speak prophetically, inspired scripture by the Holy Spirit. Who did God use? Now, move that forward. The church, we've talked about that the last two weeks. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'm going to build a church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And then when you look at all the wonderful words that are written in scripture, translating that now 2,000, 2,600 years in this case, who are you and I? And we've been called to be light. That Matthew, light and sweet aroma and salt. And I mentioned that. So before we can fully understand what Daniel's saying, we got to understand what's going on. God had chosen what appeared to the world, it just by all appearances, he chose four young men, one particularly Daniel, to be the most significant human being on the planet at that time. No person lived at that time that would be more significant than Daniel. There just wouldn't be. His words have lived on. God used him. God gave him favor. 
Read the first chapter and you'll see why. And now here we are 2,600 years later and people are all of a sudden they're reading Daniel and they're reading Revelation. Don't miss that. So, but what he said was there's going to be a time and a time of distress and such as never. So what's he talking about? We're going to give evidence to that as we move forward. I, on this handout, one of the things that I put this Revelation is that Revelation is a book written for every generation. It is. It deals with first century revelation. But uh, the truth of the matter is, the truth of the message has had tremendous significance for every generation since that time. Namely, God brings an end to evil. And how does he do it? I would tell you the most significant people on the planet today is the body of Christ. But church, i got to tell you something. It's time to start acting like it. It's time to start acting like it. I, I had a great professor. His name was Neil Lightfoot, not, not the singer Neil Lightfoot. He was 92 years old. And he came into class each week wearing a black broadcloth broad cloth suit white shirt, black tie, kind of looked like one of the Blues Brothers. And a very, very, you know, well-groomed. And, uh, and he would come in with his briefcase and his Bible. And he'd set it down and he'd open the Bible. And he would start teaching us. And the accumulated wisdom of that man I've not experienced in another human being. And he, he uh, taught, one of the classes I had one was the book of Acts. And, and we spent a year connecting all of the truths about the church. And he said, you know when the church was its most powerful? He said, the church was its most powerful when it had nothing except the people of God living by faith. He said it wasn't until the church began to accumulate property and build buildings and open bank accounts and that it started to become really weak. Now, I said there's always been conflict in the church. You go from the second chapter of the book of Acts, they had all things in common. Sixth chapter of the book of Acts, they're fighting over which widows get fed. So there's always been conflict. But... If you'll do a history of the church in America over the last 200 and really 40 years, uh, Civil War, pre and then moving forward to that, even before that, um, it's a remarkable story. Great things have been done in the name of Christ through the body of Christ. But if you look at what we have become, I can assure you what we're seeing um, is not, it's not, I do not believe in many cases it's what God desired from us as light, sweet aroma, salt, the bride, his children, his kingdom. Um, we have become very much like the world. And what's, 
the evidence of that. It, we ought to be stand up here and say that. The number one, the number one, the number one evidence of that is complacency, what I've called casual Christianity. The Christianity is a part of our life, but it's not the totality of our life. And I want to ask you, shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't it be? Paul wrote the Colossians, everything, Colossians, everything you do, everything you do, everything you do, in word and deed, you do in the name of Christ. Christianity has become compartmentalized. It's a part of our life, but it's not the totality of our life. The culture that we've been raised in gives us so many opportunities to enjoy life. It's so many, and some of it appears to be fairly innocent. Not like we're just violating God's word, but we're not including God. Have you ever stopped to think of how much God asks of you? I mean, really, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It, you should, he really doesn't ask very much of you and I, not really. And everything that he asks of you and I is, <laughs> blesses us, truly blesses us. When we live sexually the way he called, it blesses us. When we live financially the way he has called us, it blesses us. When we serve rather than being served, it blesses us. When, when, when our marriages look like the way God intended them to look, it blesses us. Not only does it do that, it blesses others. There's nothing that God has asked you to do that harms you or harms others. But we've compartmentalized. Parents, I, I, I'm just going to say this. I, uh, you know, you're raising your children in very difficult times. Very difficult times. Um, what is it? What is it? As much as you love them, as you, if you're like me, the first time they put that child in your arms, your heart magnified. You didn't know you could love as much as you could. Your fear magnified because it got real. Oh my. Anxiety. Love. Worries. And then, and then so we're raising our kids. And we want the best for our kids. So what would be the best for your kids? What the world has to offer? Or what God has to offer? Do your children see you compartmentalizing your life with Christ? I'm going to do one that's very personal. One of the things that God asked us to do from the very beginning was to worship Him. But I'm going to say it out of His Word. He asked His people from the earliest, earliest, earliest uh, places as He established His, his people. He said, you are to worship me, not on your own. Yes, you can worship him on your own. But if you can find a place in Scripture where God says, you don't need to congregate, I don't require you to congregate. You, you can just worship me as you please. If you can find one where it says that, I if, you, if there's somebody you want me to resign, I'll resign immediately. I will. I, I'll do it. 
Not that there would be anybody. I'm just saying that's how deeply and strongly I feel about this. This is not my words. So he asked us to congregate for the Jews it was on the Sabbath. For the New Testament church it was on the resurrection day, first day of the week. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. And that's his desire for you and I because it's what's best for us. And not only is it what's best for us, it's best for what is for others. As you and I have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, we're better people. And hence people are, I don't have time. I do want to focus on this. He talks about a time. I'm going to, each week, you're going to get information that ties all of these statements very clearly together, gives you some interpretation of the math, the days, the times. I can't, I don't have enough time to cover it in a sermon. But as I look at this opening statement in Daniel, it's to a young man, the least, he's the least. He was the least. Nobody would have paid much attention to him. Oh, God put, they did. <laughs> they had to. But he said, at that time, in a time where there's going to be a distress as this never occurred since there was a nation until that time, at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Now, folks, next week, we're going to look at the book of Lamb. Because if this sends shivers down your spine or, or ignites a question mark, it should. Because I'm going to tell you, there'll only be one moment in your life. I don't care. You might, maybe you'll hit a hole in one at the golf course. I watched a guy hit a hole in one, and I thought, well, that would be pretty significant. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you might be a world champion at something. You know, I've been watching some rodeo. They got all these world champions. You know, they asked one guy. It's just been the greatest experience of my life. He'd won a world championship. Well, that's pretty good. You know, maybe it'll be amassing your first million dollars. Maybe it'll be graduating from college with a degree. No. Now, let me tell you, there'll only be one moment for every soul that's ever lived that will matter. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone, everyone, your people, who were Daniel's people? They were God's people. And the Bible very clearly defines God's people. If you don't know, we're going to define it next week. And at that time, your people, here they are, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. You should ask yourself daily, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And if you don't know, I pray for you. I suggest we sing a great hymn called Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. I'm not going to box this into what I believe is a very, 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 very wrong theology. I believe part of the worldly church and the compartmentalization of the church is based upon a, a doctrine that is at the very least incomplete. And that's it. Did you just, you accept Jesus in your heart. I, I will not stand in a pulpit and say that I can believe that that is biblically correct. I will not. Because scripture doesn't say that. We've been taught that. But I, I want you to have blessed assurance. I want 
you to know I'm one of those people. I'm going to be rescued. And I can have assurance that when the clouds open and Christ appears and the book is open, that my name is written in that book because you should have assurance. And the scripture very clearly tells us where that assurance comes from. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about next week the, the, the reality of this time a time that such has never occurred. There was a nation until that time, and at that time, at that time, and it's coming, folks. We're another day, hour, moment closer, and at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued, and here's where I finish today. You say you love your children. Maybe you believe that you, you love your enemies. Jesus tells us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground, there's the resurrection, shall awake. These to everlasting life. But the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. My prayer is that God places something very heavy in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in a pandemic world, that he places a, a strong yearning in your spirit to know with total assurance what Daniel's talking about, what the Bible speaks about, and which should be the single most important thing in your life, whether you've graduated and you're going to college or you're a family that's starting out in a marriage or you're a family that's starting with a young baby or you're an older person that the candlelight is going out in your life. So we're going to study that next week. The people that will be rescued according to the word of God. The people whose names are written in the book of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray to you for the assurance that comes with the knowledge that comes from your word. Father, I pray that you would increase in each of us a desire to know your way and your will and your word and to live according to that. I pray that, that we can have that full assurance that you so clearly have defined for us and given us the truth of in Scripture. Father, I pray that we have a stronger and stronger and stronger desire not to just speak the name of your Son, but to know Him, to know, to know your Son and to live in relationship with Him more than words, more than an occasional thought or even an occasional prayer but they were consumed with the desire and the knowledge of knowing your son. And so, Father, we pray these things in the name of your son. We come here this morning to worship you. And it is our prayer that our worship has been worthy. Our hearts have been right. Our minds are directed into the right places that you need them to be. And we pray all of these things and we give you praise because of your son. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.